keeping your diet ketogenic, balancing the methionine and glycine ratio, include organs, omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid profile. I would add minerals in general, more preferential. I'm actually gonna go back in time to one of the biggest videos we have on the channel, the six keys to doing the nose to tail carnivore diet the right way. The idea here is that you're eating all of the animals. We're gonna go through all these points and encourage you to go check out that video if you haven't. Um, it will help you kind of get more of a context. Let's jump back into these and go through them one by one and just see where we're at in 2020 as these six keys relate to our current state and knowing what we know about the carnivore diet, having my book, Carnivore Code, from Paul Saladino, Carnivore MD, having Sean Baker's book, and just seeing more people in the community and what's been working well for them. So number one, keeping your diet ketogenic. And I think this is still very, very relevant. I still think that the, the sweet spot for the majority of people, myself included, is probably around a gram of protein per body weight. So for me, I'm at about 158 pounds, 158 grams of protein. For most people, that's gonna translate into about 30% protein on their caloric intake to 70% fat. Remember from that first video and other videos we've done that you get nine calories per gram of fat and four calories per gram of protein. Although we don't quite know if that's actually true on the protein side, we think that's kind of the case. The main point here is the mass of the food that you're consuming, you want to be about the same for fat to protein for most people. Some people dealing with more severe, maybe mental illness or wanting to get through a bit more into a higher level of ketosis might benefit from less protein and higher fat intake, something like 80, 85% fat to 20 to 15% protein. But generally speaking, I don't see most of us benefiting, limiting our protein intake to less than 20% calorically. And I encourage most people and want most people to be athletic. I think that protein and muscle building and the requirements we need from our body's perspective to actually maintain the muscle mass that we need is very important, especially for longevity and performance. Muscle is a very valuable organ in the human body. It doesn't just serve to make you macho or, or very muscular and, and bodybuild-like. It actually serves to really store excess glycogen in your blood sugar. It gives you um, a lot of resiliency and longevity as you age. So muscle mass is really important. Having the right amount of protein is really good. And I think for the vast majority of people doing the carnivore diet, that first key, the fat to protein ratio, 30% to 70% fat. So 30% protein to 70% fat on your calories, which is about equal amounts of weights of protein to fat is gonna do you perfect justice and really put you in the right sweet spot. You can adjust from there depending on how you feel, but that's really where it's gonna happen. Number two, balancing the methionine and glycine ratio. I got this from Dr. Saladino when we were closely sort of jumping into the diet in the beginning. And what I've learned and what I've experienced is you really don't need to supplement glycine if you're eating grass-fed cuts and if you're eating things like shank, chuck roast, cuts of meat where you're getting a lot of tendons and collagen. Also, if you make your own bone broth, which again, I'd be careful of because slow cooked, long cooked, slow cooking can cause high histamine load in the food, can also create more rendered fat, which can cause gut issues. But if you're making broth and you're doing it in a pressure cooker and you are scraping off the rendered fat when it solidifies, 
you can make a great bone broth and it can be a great addition to your actual um, dietary intake and you're naturally gonna get a very well-balanced glycine-methionine ratio just by consuming the more grass-fed, tendinous cuts of meat and being mindful to get not just purely lean cuts of meat, but actually get the connective tissue and eat that. So that kind of ties into the whole nose-to-tail concept that I believe firmly in, which is gonna benefit you. You're gonna get the most bioavailable collagen. You're gonna get all the, the glycine you really need in a sufficient amount just by eating the animal nose-to-tail, which kind of makes sense. I mean, our ancestors weren't exactly synthesizing synthetic glycine to add to their meals. So the idea here is eat grass-fed meat. It's much better for you. It has less toxins. It's better for the environment. You can find very reasonably priced cuts. Yes, you'll have to sacrifice maybe some of the ribeyes and the, the delicacies, but you get that glycine-methionine balance. And when you do that right, you get rid of a whole slew of potential problems when you just have a higher level and unbalanced load of methionine. Number three, include organs. Organs is huge. I am a huge fan of this. I think this is very valid, even more valid now than it was before. Think about organs though in this sense. I actually recommended eating a lot of liver in my first version of this video, and I would recommend a lot less liver. The, the liver I was, I think, going with was roughly 100 grams a day, especially raw liver. That is a lot of vitamin A. Now, it's hard to overdo vitamin A, but I believe you can overdo it, and I believe I did overdo it personally. So be careful with vitamin A. It is a fat-soluble vitamin. It gets stored in the liver and in your fat, and so it's harder to flush that out, where you can take much more higher quantities of like B vitamins, the water-soluble vitamins, and you can pass whatever is excess that your body can't process or doesn't need. Now, that being said, um, I think liver is really valuable. I think you should include it in your diet, but I would say two to three ounces, two to three times a week is, is more than sufficient if you're doing beef liver or maybe like lamb liver and you have a good quality animal that you're consuming it from that is giving you that profile of vitamins and you're anywhere from say 150 to 250 pounds, that's probably gonna be more than sufficient unless you're way outside the norm of someone who's much larger or needs much more of these nutrients. What I would add to my piece is eating kidney. Kidney is a great organ you can add in almost daily. It has about a quarter of the vitamin A that you need on a daily basis. And it's a bit more balanced in terms of the vitamin content and not overloading your system. So kidney is actually an organ that you can add in more regularly. And I typically try to eat kidney every other day, um, sometimes every day, three to four ounces, two to three ounces. And it also helps with histamine. So if you've ever seen the video I did on histamines, you'll know that histamine is the neurotransmitter your body creates in response to allergens, foods that you eat, the environment you're experiencing. And when you can consume kidney, it can help your kidneys produce more diamine oxidase to break down excess histamine. It's not something you should necessarily have to consume all the time. You should really just be avoiding the cause and the root source of what your histamine buildup is by not consuming foods, things like smoked meats, things like jerkies too much, things like long slow cooks, smokers, burning, charring, things like that, sardines, unfortunately, canned fish, things like that. These are the foods that are high in histamine. So if you back off those, you won't have that histamine. 
load. But kidneys also, it's just a great organ to add in with a good vitamin profile. And then things like sweetbreads have a lot of vitamin C. Things like heart will have a little bit more CoQ10. So you can mix those things in. But the general rule of thumb, just make sure you're including liver uh, two, three times a week, uh, just a small amount, you know, two to, two to four ounces. And make sure you're including kidney from time to time as well, because these are both going to give you excellent vitamin profiles of nutrients that you're just not going to get in nearly as much form in muscle meat. Some people will say that you can just eat muscle meat and you don't need to worry about organs. Again, personally, I think this is a bit naive and I think long-term you could develop deficiencies because there are very minimal amounts of certain nutrients that you get from these organs. And I do believe our ancestors ate the organs nose to tail. Number four is balancing your omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid profile. This is an interesting one. And when I first put out the first version of this video, I, I, was, a big, I was a bigger fan of fish oil and fish in general. Now I've, I've, I've learned a lot more about oxidation and foods that are oxidized that can be pretty damaging to the body as well as the processing of the whole fish oil industry and the histamine loads in things like canned sardines. So for me, the benefits can be outweighed by the cons when we're talking about adding in seafood and we're not really, really careful and clear on the sourcing of where the seafood is coming. So the other thing to mention too is that we've learned more about grass-fed beef in the EPA, DHA, values that we can get from the omega-3 fatty acids in that source of food versus grain-fed conventional raised beef, it's much better. It's much better for the environment. It's much better for you and your vitamin um, content and, and prevention of t toxins that you would get from that food. So we're seeing that's a better profile and that maybe the research out there alluding to this idea of a three or four to one ratio might not necessarily be fully accurate. We may not even need that. So it's an interesting topic. We don't know all the right answers. What I typically do is I focus on getting Ecora, which is kind of like caviar on steroids. It's a salmon egg row. Again, it's at the source, right? When the fish has an early short life cycle, early in its life cycle, it comes from somewhere that's out of the main ocean waters, like the North Pacific, Northwest Pacific, or perhaps the North Atlantic and the Arctic, you are getting a cleaner fish than in the mainstreams. Things like tuna, things like swordfish are really high in mercury oftentimes, so you wanna be extremely careful with the heavy metals. And then the oils themselves that are processed, they can be really oxidized. And when you have oxidized things entering your body, it pulls electrons off of other parts of your body and can cause more damage than, than benefit from consuming them. So I focus on high quality Ecora, and I typically add that in from time to time, not necessarily daily. And that's kind of where I, I focus on getting most of my omega-3s when I want them in a very pure source. I also look at the omega-3s that come in from the grass-fed beef I'm already consuming, and that accounts for that. But I don't think you need to be as obsessed or focused on balancing the omega-3, omega-6 fatty ratio. If you're doing all the other things in the diet and lifestyle, you're gonna get the benefits of the grass-fed foods and doing this diet right without necessarily having to overload on seeking out fish because of the cons of, of potential contaminants. That's kind of my update on point four. I would, uh, I would take that again and see what works for you. 
One thing I have noticed is when I do make an effort to add in omega-3 fatty acids, I do see inflammation in my joints go down. I notice it. It's something that I like to, to kind of consciously focus on. So again, that's kind of my point on that one. Number five, this was about calcium and calcium is still very valid, but I would add minerals in general, not just calcium. So I would even add in sodium to that. So what I would say is we want to get calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium and make sure our minerals are balanced well. Some of the biggest minerals we probably need to focus on getting exogenously are going to be calcium and sodium. And it's interesting to think about this because ancestrally, like when we were on the land, like where did we get salt? Like where was the sodium we needed? And there's a lot of information out there that tells people that if you eat salt, your blood pressure will go up. The problem is that's based largely on misguided and misinterpreted epidemiology that did not take out the healthy user bias. And so we saw people eating very salty diets that were unhealthy, that were eating food and, and other things like French fries and colas and burgers with, with buns and all these other processed refined sugars with their salty diets. But when you take actual high quality clean sodium, something like Redmond Real Salt, which is from an inland mine salt deposit, and you add that to your diet, you're getting the minerals that come with that and you're getting sodium. And sodium is very critical, especially when you're transitioning into this diet, because whenever you're doing a ketogenic diet, your, your kidneys are gonna be dropping sodium levels and you need to basically make sure that you bump up the sodium intake to offset that and make sure your electrolytes are well balanced. So sodium is really key. Calcium is also important. You just need to be very careful with the sourcing of your calcium because some bones from animals can have lead deposits from them. So look at white oak pastures, look at um, Whole Foods Market Prop 65, I believe it is. Whole bone calcium online, like through Amazon, you can get stuff that is past Prop 65 standards for cleanliness. And consider also eating eggshells. Eggshells is something I eat pretty regularly. Now, there's some fear that consuming calcium will cause calcification in your endothelial cells, in your arteries, and lead to plaque formation and heart disease. This is not the case. When you consume calcium and you have adequate levels of K2, which you will get from an animal-based diet, because when you get ample amounts of K2, also known as menaquinone, which you're getting from animal foods, animals foods are robust in this when you're on a carnivore diet, you're not gonna have issues with, with consuming calcium. Now, I would say the best source probably to get calcium, like I mentioned with those, is mixing in some bone meal or eggshells or doing bone broth because the bones themselves will have calcium in their mineral deposits that will build into the bone broth. Or also, not or, but I would also say also consider doing something like a spring water. I drink spring water now exclusively and there's quite a bit of calcium in there, magnesium, uh, potassium, and phosphorus and some of these other minerals like uh, lithium that have been shown to have benefits to kind of balance us out. Another interesting mineral is boron. Boron is probably in the bones, so bone broth would help with that. I actually supplement a little bit of boron, four milligrams a day, and I found that it helps with free testosterone. And that's not just for men, I would also recommend it for women as well. Helps. Uh, with stronger bones. And again, the reason I supplement that is because it's just, it's really hard to get that in your diet unless you were eating um, animals that were getting natural water, getting the minerals that they had 
and you were consuming mostly nose to tail all the time, making broth out of their bones and really religiously consuming nose to tail, it would have been hard to get the adequate levels of, of boron that we probably evolved and thrived with. So I, I recommend probably considering boron along with the spring water and in the mineral dilation there. So the last point six, I would say is, is still very valid. Focus on the redder cuts of meat, but this is something where it's more preferential. I would say if you feel great on light meats, chicken, quail, birds, things that are maybe a little bit leaner and you're still getting that, that first point, the fat of roughly 70%, maybe 65, 75% fat intake, then I would say you do you. If it works for you, that's great. But for the most part, you're gonna see a richer nutrient profile with more vitamins, more magnesium, more zinc, more minerals in the ruminant animals, in the darker meat like beef, bison, and then lamb and things like that. And so generally speaking, I, I kind of push people that way. And for the majority of us as humans, we probably evolved eating these types of megafauna, these bigger, fattier, more ruminant, dark meat animals with lots of fat and that darker meat and less of the birds. Although probably later in evolution, as we hunted to extinction these megafauna, we were eating more of the light meat, lighter meat. So I think mix it up. Personally, I don't do that well with chicken. I also think a lot of chicken is not well raised. It's gonna be really hard to find high quality chicken that is soy free. And so that's something to really keep in mind. Pork is also another animal where it's gonna be harder to find high quality. And if you can find high quality, it can be great, but you really need to be careful about where you source your pork from. Grass-fed beef you can find in a lot of places. There's a lot of farms who do it. And so it's just a safe bet that you're gonna get a clean, balanced, really optimal nutrient profile. And as long as you're adjusted, meaning maybe you're, if you're new to the carnivore diet, you're going into it for a couple weeks and you're sticking to the plan. As long as you're adjusted, you're going to do just fine with red meat. It's very, very rare that you're going to find if you have a high quality grass fed beef source that you're going to have allergies, you're going to have gut issues that it's going to trigger autoimmunity. It's just, it's one of the safest foods you could possibly consume from that respect. And there's tons of videos in the channel here to learn more about all the fears you might have around lipids or saturated fat or cholesterol or any of the other things that people have said about meat being carcinogenic or hurting you. It's, it's just not, not founded on interventional studies that we've actually analyzed and we've actually seen that meat is actually associating and correlating with people that are actually living much longer. So I hope that breakdown and rehash was really helpful. I actually enjoyed putting it together. One thing I didn't add, which I would recommend is probably avoid dairy. And I know that that's going to be probably, uh, something people don't like to hear, but I think for most of us, uh, genetically in our biology, eating milk after we're beyond our infancy and growing is probably not going to benefit us in, even in A2 dairy and some of these other strands like goat's milk, it's probably not the most optimal. So I just want to throw that caveat in there before I kind of tune out because I think it's important. And again, uh, drop a comment. Let me know your experience. What do you think of these keys? Are these six keys kind of the solid ones you would put on there? Or would you refine this list? Would you add more? Let me know. And again, thank you for, for watching all the way to the end. If you made it this far, hit the like button, subscribe, drop a comment. And if you are interested in more of what I have to say about the carnivore diet and how to do it, 
My book is all about how to, how to really do it. My story, why I got into it, how I transitioned into it, and how to do that. There's gonna be a link. You can go get the book. You can get some of our free guides if you wanna just join our, um, get our, our free guides that we have. We have those as well, or join our list, and just hear from me on, a, on a, an email basis. And until next time, let's get optimized.